Welcome into another edition of Talkin' Ducks. Oregon getting a win over USC. It wasn't the prettiest of times, but hey, a win is a win. We'll break that down. Plus, Bo Nix vaulting himself in the Heisman Trophy race. Where does he stand as far as the Vegas favorite after that 412-yard performance against SC? And then a coaching opening in the SEC at Texas A&M. Should Oregon fans be worried about Dan Lanning leaving? And then we'll, of course, preview the matchup against Arizona State. But let's go ahead and get to our opening drive, brought to you by Capital Toyota. Your way on the highway, and we welcome in the rest of the crew here. Joey Harrington, Anthony Newman, and I believe somewhere in a hotel somewhere, Aaron Fentress. Aaron, where are you at right now? I'm in Salt Lake City getting ready to cover the Jazz and the Blazers. Aren't you jealous? I feel sorry for the city of Salt Lake. All right, let's get to this game here because, Joey, I, I want to start with you because this game against SC, yeah, two high-powered offenses, but for what Bo Nix and Oregon was able to do against the Trojans in a game that, you know, years past has gotten a little dicey, right? A home loss against Stanford, a home loss against SC kind of at this point in the season. What was your takeaway in the way that the Ducks were able to handle this game in this moment against USC? You want my honest takeaway, or do you want the talking yes. ducks takeaway? No, like, I we, want your honest takeaway. I thought they were sloppy. I, I, I thought if I thought they left some out there, um, and if they're going to be the type of team that they want to be in a couple weeks, they got to get that cleaned up. Now they're good enough, and SC's defense was bad enough um, that it didn't bite them. But if you have that many penalties against Oregon State. If, if you don't finish drives in a couple weeks against Oregon State, like th that was that was one of those games where you look at it and say, God, this should not be this close. And against really good teams, those games are the ones that come back to bite you. So did they play, did, I mean, and again, so let me, let me put this in context here, right? We have, everybody has these, oh, there's too many feelings or too many penalties. Oh, they didn't finish drives feelings. And then you look at the end of the day and both threw for 404 touchdowns, you know, like, so <laughs> his incredible, incredibleness is able to kind of lift the rest of the team over those, those bumps. But there were too many this week. Um, and against a, a USC team of old, you know, against a USC team that isn't the worst in the country in defense, um, that's one that could have come back to bite them. It, it got too close there at the end. Um, and, and there are some things that need to be cleaned up, again, in context of what they want to accomplish this year. Did they beat SC? Yeah. Are they in, you know, them in Washington in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 championship? Yeah. But... If your goal is to be bigger than that, then you, you need to clean up some of those things that, um, that were just too sloppy this weekend. Yeah, Anthony, 13 penalties for 120 yards, and this was an issue we talked about early in the season. And as Joey said, you, you get away with it at home against an SC team that their defense is in shambles, but it really felt like it was almost a step backwards in a sense. And I guess it's good news that you can win a game playing your C-plus type effort. But, you know, what's the conversation amongst Oregon and their coaching staff, do you feel, after this type of game? Well, it's a lack of focus. And most of those penalties were in the trenches. Offensive line and defensive line. Defensive line jumping off sides. Offensive line 
you know, uh, not doing the right thing. You know, here's here's the thing, though, and, and, and Joyce said it, but think about this for a minute. You know, how bad is USC? They're not bad. They're a good football team. So if, if we go back to the start of the season and Oregon's playing San Jose State or they're playing San Diego State and they have all these penalties, we would say, well, when they play Utah and when they play USC, they can't do that because they'll get beat. There's no way. Well, then, yet... Yeah, Oregon comes out and gets all these penalties and still beats USC. <clears throat> Excuse me, a good football team that has the best quarterback in the nation, I believe, the first pick of the draft. So you think about, well, this team is pretty good because they were beating themselves, yet they were able to get out of the way, uh, out of themselves, and, 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 and still win that football game, okay, when plays needed to be made. The stars showed up, Bo Nix. Troy Franklin, the defensive line, those guys, defensive backs, they did play four quarters of football with all those bad penalties. Yeah, Aaron, is this a just a good win just to make sure, listen, a win's a win, not every game's going to be perfect, or is this kind of fool's gold in the sense that there's still some issues this team needs to clean up if you look at their final two games of the season potentially being Oregon State, and if they win that, Washington in the Pac-12 title game. Well, like Newman said, they've been good enough to overcome penalties most of, or all season, really, and they did so in this game. You know, you do wonder, if you're talking about trying to win the national championship, then that's where you start thinking about, okay, this could really hurt you. But, you know, like Newman said, USC is a good football team. I, I didn't feel like they were going to necessarily blow them out. Their defense, other than those two long touchdowns where the secondary looked inept, I think Newman could start right now for them, <laughs> even at his age. But other than that, the USC defense was pretty – was pretty solid, other than those two plays, really, when you think about it. And if it wasn't for that uh, Caleb Williams fumble on the exchange when he tried to pull it back, you know, who knows what happens at the end of that game. So I, I think they won a close, hard-fought game against a team that has a really good offense and a ridiculously good quarterback who made plays that should not be made by human beings. And <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're able to win regardless of the mishaps that went on. So, you know, I... I give them a good grade for winning the game and doing it against a team that I mean, they barely lost to the to Huskies. That was back and forth. The Utah game was back and forth. So this isn't a team I expected Oregon to necessarily blow. I think I had a 49-40, so I expected some more points from both teams. But, you know, I, I don't walk away from it feeling like there's much concern there other than, yes, the penalties at some point. You wonder when one is going to happen at, like, the worst moment possible and everything gets messed up. But, okay, Jordan, I'm jumping in. Jordan, I'm jumping in. Yeah. And, and this is kind of a question, and it's interesting that, that Aaron, you're on the, I would say, the, the other side of me on this one. Threw you off, when, didn't it? <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Threw you off, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At what point, like, you say USC is a good football team. I look at that and see 28 to 7 at at one point right you know it was or 22 22 7 22-7. and i see 13 penalties i see a blown coverage on defense you know letting the usc wide receiver run completely free up the sideline like i see those things as oregon mistakes rather than usc doing a good job against Oregon, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, I what think about the other way, though? Because Franklin was completely uncovered, and the safety got all twisted up. And in the first touchdown, the DB goes headhunting for Tez, and Tez just slips him and goes to the house. Like, those are also USC mistakes. Yeah, but the difference, the difference to me, though, is 
What did Bucky end? What did, what did we end up on the with on the ground? One eighteen for Bucky, Bucky had one second, nineteen carries, one hundred and eighteen yards, and one touchdown. SC didn't break hundred yards rushing. To start the fourth quarter, Caleb Williams had under two hundred yards passing. Right there, there was a difference to me in this game with Bo over four hundred, with us, you know, with with Bucky over hundred by himself. Like there was a difference in how this game felt. Oregon had control of this game from the jump. And I don't feel like SC ever had control until, you know, maybe that, that play, you know, that last touchdown at the end where you thought, oh, God, like, this is, this is closer than it should be. I, I don't know. To me, it just felt like a game where Oregon let them hang around as opposed to SC being a good team and keeping themselves in it. I think that's fair. I mean, like I said, Caleb did some things that were ridiculous. If, if you know, to me, the biggest thing was that Oregon has a defense and USC doesn't. But Caleb was able to do things even when he had no reason to be doing them to sort of keep drives going and keep them, you know, able to produce points. So, you know, I hear what you're but saying. I, I, but I guess, diff- again, that kind of goes back to my point and kind of what, what, uh, what Anthony, you said they played four quarters. Well, they kept Caleb Williams under 200 yards for three of those quarters. And then all of a sudden... Did they play that fourth quarter the way they wanted to? Like, I, I don't know. It, it felt like not a step backwards, but it definitely felt like a deep breath to me. Like, okay, like we need to, we need to go back to the drawing board and really refocus and reevaluate here and fine tune some things if we're going to get to the point where we want to get. And let's, again, let's put this in context. Like this whole conversation is in terms of, I want to say changed expectations, right? This isn't, hey, we're trying to get to the Pac-12 championship game. We just need to win one of the next two. No, this is, we are, we are playing for a CFP, a college football playoff spot. And unless you get those things cleaned up, those are going to come back and bite you. That's the expectation, right? The standard is the standard. And I think we have to evaluate from that position from here on out. I, I think that's fair. All I'm hearing is some Joey hateration. That's all I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, regardless of how the Oregon team played, we do know Bo Nix was sensational. Let's go ahead and get to our Abby's legendary performance brought to you by Abby's legendary pizza. And Aaron, Bo Nix, 23 of 31, 412 yards, four touchdowns. And it's funny, at the beginning of the season, it felt like he was sort of outside of that Heisman bubble, even though Oregon threw the billboards up in three different places across the country. He was just kind of on the fringe as we heard some bigger name players, but slow and steady, Bo has now climbed the charts. He's now the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy, and Dan Lanning said that performance against SC was a Heisman-worthy performance. You look at the body of work, do you agree that Bo Nix should be the favorite in the Heisman Trophy race at this point? I have mixed feelings about the Heisman in general because it's not really an individual award, it's a, a team award. For a lot of different reasons, you have to win, you know, but sometimes the best player might be on a team that loses. It's a team game, so one player can't really carry you. But that being said, based on how the Heisman works as we know it, absolutely. I mean, dude has been very good to great pretty much every week. Even the UW game, it wasn't a game where you look back and go, oh, he faltered. No, they, they lost, and maybe Penix outplayed him, but... He played really well in a hostile environment, and they had a chance to win that game. And then every other game, he's just been money. He does whatever they need him to do. There's been a couple games where he hasn't had to throw for 300, but they didn't need him to do that. Um, His completion percentage, as we talked about last week, is just completely off the charts insane. And to go in and play USC, regardless of USC's defensive issues, an attack on 400 yards, and would say four touchdowns to your tally? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he's definitely 
in the top three, whether it's one or two or three, or I don't know. But when you factor in actual winning, I mean, USC's pretty much, you know, pulled Caleb Williams out of it because the defense is horrible. That's not Caleb Williams' fault to me. The fact that he's kept them in games, some of these games that they've won, should be a credit to him, but the way the system works, it hurts them. Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels' numbers probably all around might be better, but they've lost, you know, a few times. So, But the way, the way things work in the Heisman, uh, yes, right now Bo Nix has got to be the favorite. Joey, quick thought on that. I agree. Um, I don't think... I mean, you can make an argument for Bo, for Penix, for, you know, for Daniels at LSU. You know, we keep talking about that moment, right? The Heisman Trophy is about the moment. It's about the Eric Crouch, you know, reverse pass. It's about, you know, Desmond taking it back. It's about Charles Woodson on the side. Like, where is that moment? The country is going to have an opportunity to see that moment potentially head-to-head with Penix and Bo. Maybe Jaden Daniels had his moment this weekend, right? Three, what did he throw for? 350, ran for 200. I mean, the guy had, was Marcus Tuiasasopo all over again. I mean, that, that, was, that was phenomenal. Um, but I think the country is going to have the opportunity to see Bo and Penix to cap it all off, right? That, that's going to be it. And um, I don't know that they're going to have that opportunity to see, to see Daniels, um, you know, because they've lost a couple games. And so, yeah, I, I think... You'd have to say that, um, yeah, th- those are the three that are, that are in it for me. I mean, you, you start going down the list and talk about J.J. McCarthy and, you know, they didn't even let him throw the ball in the second half against, <laughs> against Penn State. Like, you don't do that with the Heisman Trophy candidate. So I think there's, it's a three-person race for me. Just to keep everybody refreshed, the ballots are distributed November 27th, Monday. Voting deadline is Monday, December 4th, after the Pac-12 title game. And so three games left. Certainly is an opportunity for Bo Nix to have his Heisman moment. All right, plenty more talking ducks when we come back. We've got to dive in a little bit deeper to some of the speculation. Dan Lanning recently joined Oregon. He's from the SEC. Texas A&M fires Jimbo Fisher. Should Oregon fans worry that this is Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart all over again? We'll let you know when we come back on Talking Ducks. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. We keep asking and fans keep wondering because there's never been a definitive yes or no from you. So will you be the coach here next year? Can you say that? Why wouldn't I be? I'm the football coach. I mean, you guys ask me that like you're trying to get me out of here or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought we were better than that. You know, why wouldn't I be? Have you or your agent been contacted by officials at Florida State at all? Nope. So can we can we move on now? Mario, much of the hours leading up to the game was spent on reports regarding your future. Do you intend to sign a contract extension to Oregon, or will you accept the Miami job if offered? Yeah, I don't know what you're into. When you say someone's offered, I haven't talked to anybody. So let's not create narratives, okay, as we sit here in this press conference. So Oregon is working on some stuff for me, and that's what I have right now. And that's the extent of that conversation. Well, that was Willie Taggart and Mario Cristobal when they were both asked about a potential job opening. And just to let you know, Willie Taggart accepted the Florida State job four days after his comments. Mario Cristobal, three days the Miami job after those comments. Dan Lanning, he was asked about Texas A&M. They get rid of Jimbo Fisher, a record buyout. All of a sudden, an SEC school with big pockets, essentially a limitless budget. Do they want the next hot young coach? Here's Dan Lanning's thoughts. Yeah, we talk about outside noise a lot in our program. Um, I guess the reality here is, one, you, w- 
our, our, my name and uh, our program would never be in the, a topic of conversation for another school if, if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here uh, that everybody else wants, that's because of what our players, our coaches, the support that exists here at Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Uh, everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. Um, I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish uh, here at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite um, here at Oregon. And we have the resources, the tools. Um, anybody that can't understand why you would want to be here at this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? Like what I've said before, with a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, to be able to raise your uh, family in a community like this, to be able to compete for uh, championships and have the ability to get the resources you need. You know, a lot of coaches hang on to these moments and they don't do anything or don't say anything, one, because they don't want egg on their face when they decide to do something else, right? Two, because they're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about, like getting a better contract. Like, I'm taken care of extremely well here at Oregon. I have the resources I need here at Oregon to be really, really successful. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by winning. I'm motivated by being elite here. Um, and our players deserve my complete focus. Uh, our fans deserve the best uh, product on the field. So it's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it till I'm blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. Uh, that hasn't changed. That won't change. All right, Joey. Slightly different response from Dan Lanning. So what do you take into this? Because obviously Oregon is a program that as long as you have a coach that's doing well in the national perspective, there's always going to be other programs that feel like they're a step up. What do you make about Lanning's comments when asked about this open spot at Texas A&M? It's absolutely perfect. I mean, the response, um, the response is what everybody in the Oregon program, in the Oregon community, I think wanted and needed to hear. That, that he gets it. That he's in. That... Um, that this isn't a stepping stone for him, that, that he understands that what exists in, in Eugene is, is special. And to, to think that there's something greener on the other side is, is oftentimes foolish, right? Like to hear him say, I have everything I need here. This place is special. This place, to be able to, to, be able to have the combinations of community and resources and like um, he just he, he understands it. I think he understands what so many of us have felt about this program. Like this isn't this isn't a, a stop along the way to get here. Like we've been looking for somebody like Dan Lanning, somebody to come in and say, "I have everything I need, both here, you know, football wise, family wise, community, um, financial resources, and I'm gonna make I, I'm gonna finish this job." Like. That was, I, I, I'm honestly having a hard time like putting it into words how much that meant to me and so many of the other people in this football program. Like he's in and, and he gets it. Um, and that, that, that means a lot. Aaron, you're usually pretty good at smelling bull dookie a mile away. <laughs> what do you make about Lanning's comments? Genuine or do you feel like this is coach talk once again to sort of buy yourself some time in a potential decision-making process. The moving trucks are pulling up to his house right now. How do you guys fall for this every time? Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Newman, I'm in Salt Lake. You can't get to me, so just chill. <laughs> <coughs> no, it, 
It was a pretty much flawless response. I, I thought it was, I watched it twice because like, wow, that was good. I watched it again. It was really, really good. And it's tough. It's, it's never a matter for me of saying people are lying, like with Willie and with Mario. There is a playbook that coaches use all across the country in these situations. And the playbook is you talk up the place where you are and you say you have no intentions to ever leave until you have the job offer that you want and then you take it. So my question here is, and again, I'm not saying he's being disingenuous, but Willie had like an offer coming to him. Mario had an offer coming to him. Do we even know? I've seen no reports that say that A&M was prepared to offer Lanning. Am I wrong? I mean, have you guys seen reports on that? No, I haven't seen anything like that at all. Okay, so then he, what he's doing then is he's, he's deflecting something that doesn't exist. Mario did this in 2018 and Duck fans fell for it because they honestly thought Miami offered him the job because Miami had a job opening. And Mario never said whether or not he actually had a job offer or not. And so he made his comments, I'm a duck, I'm not going anywhere, blah, blah, blah. Everyone was like, oh, he turned down Miami. No. Miami turned down Mario. Mario called them about that job, according to multiple sources. Back then I reported this. They would say, no, we don't want you. And why would they at that point? I think it was seven and four in his first year with the Ducks after being fired by FIU a few years earlier. There was no reason for them to want Mario at that point. But of course, when they did come calling, he went. Now, that's his alma mater. That's completely different than any Lanning or A&M connection. I question, like... A&M has a lot going for it in terms of 107,000 seat stadium. They're in Texas, which is a hot bit of recruiting. And to your left, you got California. And to your right, you got Florida. Um, and they ha obviously have enough money to do whatever they want to. If they're going to give a guy $70 million to go away, which is mind-boggling and speaks to the idea that $20 million buyout, probably not enough. You probably need to double that because some programs out there just have boosters who are insane. But why would you want to go to a place that's becoming kind of toxic in its reputation, right? They went to the SEC from the Big 12 thinking what? They were just going to waltz them to the SEC and all of a sudden take it over? Like that was just ridiculous from the get-go. They had already made inroads, inroads in trying to raise their level up to Texas's level in the Big 12. Then they left for a much better conference and they're not winning. Oh, shocker. But this is a program that had eight five-star recruits a couple years ago. You can do more damage recruiting there than I believe you can in a state where you don't have a recruiting bid. But I just don't think this is the program that would be the one that would pull him away. Why would you go to a place that's kind of that? Like, they, their expectations exceed real reality to me when you're in a place where they are desperate to keep you. And so I think it's the smart choice to stay even if A&M came offering a job but we didn't even know if that's even the case, right? So all I'm saying, I guess, in conclusion is, great statement, but still, I do believe there are programs out there that could pull them away eventually. What programs? <laughs> I would be surprised. I mean, I think Alabama's a given. I think Georgia's a given. Um, I'd be curious to see what happened with Ohio State, um, a Michigan, maybe even a Florida, which we all know is a sleeping, a sleeping giant. I just do think that in, what, what's going to be fascinating to see here, okay, is if he hits his, his head on the ceiling at Oregon and he's like, I just can't get over that hump at Oregon because of some of the limitations that do exist. There are some. And like you're not going to have a bowl every though? year. What are you're the limitations? Have, okay. One, number one is the recruiting uh, base. You don't have a natural recruiting base in your backyard. 
So yes, they're recruiting well, don't get me wrong, but like I said, A&M had eight five-star recruits a couple years ago. That's just unheard of. So there's other places where you probably can get overall better talent on a year-in, year-in basis um, without necessarily having to be that deaf in terms of your overall talent evaluation. So yeah, I mean, Oregon's recruited well, don't get me wrong, but you know, Mario, Mario had all these classes come in that were great, and half of them entered the transfer portal because they were false four-stars. So is Dan Lanning going to avoid that mistake and get real four-stars? Maybe. Maybe he'll do a better job of actually scouting players. But at some point, you can't hit your ceiling when there's other programs out there who can out-recruit you just on geography. So again, I'm not saying he's bailing. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I do believe there are other programs that are going to become attractive to him. And he's also not going to have a Bo Nix every year. Let's not think that, I mean, I'm not convinced this is going to be the norm what they just did this season or last season. Bo is ridiculous. He's a five-year starter and he is absolutely off the charts. Who's their starter next year? Are, are they winning this many games with Ty Thompson right now? No. So I'm just saying that at some point he could hit his head on the ceiling and decide he needs to go somewhere else. If he, if he really wants to win a national title, that remains to be seen. Okay, but, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. In those situations, the response from the coaches have been, what are you trying to get me out of here? Or I, I'm not even going to talk about something that's hypothetical that has, right? There's, there's deflection, right? He very clearly said those coaches make those statements because they don't want egg on their face down the road. He came out and they, said, this is, the, so, so, so my point is to make a statement like this, to say I'm in, to say I have everything I need here, to say this is the job for me, to, to come out and unequivocally make these statements, to say that I have everything I need to he need here to be elite and to win a championship. Mario says said that in 18, though. What's that? Mario said those same things in 2018. And he left with egg on his face. I mean, I don't think he left with egg on his face. He went left with egg on his face. I think if you ask a lot of people, like, $80 million, so, so, you can crack an egg on my face. No, no, no. The 2008, but the 2018 egg didn't matter because that was false egg because he was never offered an omelet. My you know point never, is. This, so we don't know if Dan's been offered a job. That, that's my thing. When, when you turn down a job offer, that means something. Not when you turn down speculation because you were only asked about it because someone, because the reporters have to ask a question. That's not turning down something. You haven't, have you, has he, has he been offered a job or not? If he has it, then this is all a moot point. It doesn't mean anything. Of course he's going to say, I'm staying here. Where is he going? He doesn't have a job offer. My point, though, is you can, you can, well, make, a you yeah. can make a statement like that without coming out and... This was an unequivocal statement to me, right? And to, fact, and to, and to, to reference the fact that coaches who say, will say these things then end up with egg on their face, right? Says to me that I'm, I'm making these statements because this is where I am, this is what I believe, and, and I plan on staying here, right? Um, yeah, could, could things change five years from now? Of course. But the way he made the statement, whether there was a job offer or not, says to me that he's here and he's in. And, and he believes in, that he can win a championship in this place in the same way that we believe that he can win a championship as well. So um, let's, let's go to Anthony. It's a, he's been sitting there very quiet. Yeah, Anthony, you've been patient. Um, your thoughts on you know, this, I'm my just, friend. I, I just hate these questions. I, I can't stand them. And, and, and Aaron, I have a question for you. How well do you do, know Dan? I mean, are you guys, did you guys grow up together? Do, do, do you know him well? I don't know and, him, no. Yeah, you don't know him. <laughs> so how do you assume, and how, and, and, and well, you're, how you're telling us way. That, that, oh, yeah, well, you know, in, in a couple of years, yeah, he may look to go somewhere else. How do you know? 
I mean, really. I mean, how do you know? Okay. When you no, look I at... Don't no, he's I don't know. Listen, he's not at a, a normal school. Okay, this school brings a lot to the table. And that's what Dan said. said. There was a lot, there's a lot of offerings. There's a lot going on here. This is one of the better teams in the country. Not, you know, fighting to be, you know, mid-level in the Pac-12. So, so when you're talking about comparing Oregon to other schools, Oregon's still up there. Yeah, they have some challenges, but so did these other schools. When A&M is trying to recruit in Texas, they got to deal with a thousand other schools around them getting the top players. So they got the same issues. I don't see Texas A&M doing anything more than Oregon in the, in the last 10 years. So I, I just question when people say, well, uh, he's going somewhere. He's looking to go somewhere else. Why, it, why, why do coaches look to go somewhere else when there's a lot of things here that, that, it's, it, that he can take and help his team win and, and take and, and, and make this community happy because they got a good football program? Because there's a lot of resources. There's a ton of resources. You know, we're not Washington State. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're not Cal. So it's, it's a different story. Okay. Can, can I respond? You know, the okay. one big variable in all this here, and we could talk about this for days, is the profile of Oregon now that they join the Big Ten next year and the expansion of the playoff. All of a sudden, I think the definition of a ceiling changes where you're going to have more opportunity to get into a situation of single elimination games where you can get your way to a national championship versus this cap of four teams. You lose one game, maybe you're out. You're going to get a lot more national exposure too. And so all of a sudden, this Oregon brand is going to be exposed to even more people across the country. And you just don't know how that's going to impact the school when they join the Big Ten. So it'll be fascinating what happens over the next couple of years. But I think it's pretty clear that Dan Lanning, no intentions right now. But Aaron, as you said, there's no offer in front of him. So you never know. All right, we got plenty more talking ducks to get to. Dan Rubenstein is going to join us on the other end. We'll get his thoughts on Dan Lanning as well as Oregon preparing for ASU and the Bonex Heisman talk. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. All right, welcome back to Talking Ducks. Time now for It Never Rains with our good friend Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal Podcast. And Dan, college football playoff rankings came out. There's movement. Georgia now moves to the top spot. But it's fascinating, man. I look at this traffic that might be forming if things play out the way that a lot of Duck fans are hoping, and that's with Oregon ending the season with one loss, beating Washington in the Pac-12 championship race. And my question to you is, how do the Ducks find their way into one of these top four spots when you've got a one-loss Texas, a one-loss Alabama, both lurking right on their heels? You become a big Oklahoma fan. You become a big Iowa State fan. You become a big Georgia fan. Um, look, the reality is that Oregon is going to need help, and Oregon's going to need to continue to perform at a high level in the games that they play. And so I... I feel confident in watching Oregon and watching some other teams and watching, and I've said this a lot during the season, that taking care of business is underrated. Texas did not take care of business against Houston. They did not take care of business against TCU. Now you're talking about Quinn Ewers getting hurt in the Houston game, and you're talking about uh, his first game back against TCU. But these are teams that have not won a ton of games, that have not been super impressive. And Oregon's lone blemish losing was to a very good undefeated Washington team. And they only beat Texas Tech by eight What with a healthy starting quarterback. 
And otherwise, they've really taken care of business impressively. You look at Alabama and some of their down moments, struggling against Arkansas for separation, struggling against USF for separation. I'm not going to be able to convince anybody that an, uh, a one-loss Alabama SEC champion should be left out. But if you're talking about on the margins, the case for Oregon is that they've taken care of business against the teams on their schedule. But it's it's tough to argue a one-loss conference champion over at least an undefeated conference champion, if we're talking about Florida State or the Big Ten champ. So they need help. They absolutely need help. Uh, but I'm a big believer that the the finality and the totality of your results are more important than one single data point, like Texas beating Alabama in week two, because I think Alabama's way better than they were then. Switching gears to Oregon, Dan Lanning was asked about the open spot at Texas A&M. He quickly shot that down in terrific fashion. But my question to you is, is Dan Lanning the type of coach you get the vibe from that could be at Oregon for a Bilotti-like tenure? I mean, is there any other job when he says that the grass is very green at Oregon? Is there any other job lurking out there with Oregon getting set to move to the Big Ten and their national presence to increase even more that you feel you might be concerned about because a $20 million buyout just isn't going to be what it really is five years from now as the money continues to get jacked up here? What's your thought on landing and his longevity at Oregon? I think it's open-ended. I don't I don't see a situation in which you have the Willie Taggart Florida State poll or the Miami poll from Mario Cristobal. Obviously, there is not a clear big-time alma mater in the college football universe. I think it's William Jewell College for Dan Lanning in Missouri. So there's not that specific poll. Obviously, his time at Georgia, his time at Alabama, those are the two biggest places right now in college football. But then there's the idea of do you want to be the guy after the guy? Do you want to be the guy after Kirby Smart? Do you want to be the guy after Nick Saban? And with regard to Texas A&M or a job on that level, I think Oregon's a better job than Texas A&M. And people will talk about the hypothetical of the money and the location and the conference of Texas A&M. But if Texas A&M were a big place, then they would have been a big place at some point in the modern era. Whereas if Dan Lanning were to leave for a place like Texas A&M, he's starting over at a place to try to build it into what he's already built at Oregon. And so why leave the place you would be trying to replicate when I'll take him at his word, as crazy that is for you know a college football coach, <laughs> that he's got what he needs at Oregon, right? That he likes it in Eugene, that he likes the team and the roster that he has and what he feels like it could potentially be in a year or two. And so it's, it's sound reasoning to me. So I don't know about Bilotti length of time because that's just sort of unheard of right now. But if you were to tell me that you had a crystal ball and he was going to be at Oregon for seven, eight years, like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, we did have a crystal ball, and he wasn't here for that long at Oregon, by the way. So nice. anyway, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, real quick, your thoughts. Threat level with Arizona State coming up here, Oregon on the road. We saw them dash the Ducks' hopes a couple years ago with Justin Herbert. What's your level of concern for this matchup? Oh, at a, on a scale of 1 to 10, about a 44. Um, just because I've been through the trials, I've been through the fire of being an Oregon fan and watching this team go to the desert with a lot on the line. I look, the, the actual rational part of my brain says that Oregon is much better than ASU. The roster's in a much better place. They have more ways to win on both sides of the ball. Um, Kenny Dillingham, obviously familiar with Dan Lanning, but no, I, I, I like the ASU defense some but I don't think they're going to be able to legitimately slow down this offense. So uh, I think Oregon is, you know, two and a half to four touchdowns better than ASU if they play even a, a B-plus version of their game. All right, Dan, remind everybody where they can find you. Solidverbal.com, the Solid Verbal podcast, available wherever 
you listen to your fine podcast. Also on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Solid Verbal. All right, Dan, thanks again. Remember to pay attention to that rational side of your brain. When we come back, we'll give you our thoughts about Oregon's matchup against ASU. Any cause of concern as they head to the desert, we'll let you know as Talking Ducks continues along. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber. Yeah, well, hopefully they're not unstoppable on Saturday. But, uh, you know, they've been the best. They're the, probably the best Oregon offense since the Chip Kelly era, since the Mariota era. This is the best Oregon's been on offense you know, in a long time, and that's including me there last year. They're better than we were last year, uh, and that's just me being completely honest. And uh, I think what makes it scary is you're good up front, you have good wideouts, you have a good running back, and you have an elite quarterback. I don't know where the flaw lies. If you look at their offense and you look at their starters, there's probably eight guys that will play on Sundays. There's potentially three to four guys that can be first or second round picks. What's your area of focus this week for the defense? For the defense, take away what we believe they're best at. What that is, I'm not going to tell you. Welcome back to the show. That was Kenny Dillingham, former Oregon offensive coordinator for the Ducks last year, now first-year head coach at Arizona State, his alma mater. His thoughts on this Oregon offense coming in, and obviously a ton of respect. He knows a lot of the guys on this team here, Aaron. And, you know, this is an Arizona State game. And last time Oregon was in a situation where they were knocking on the door of the college football playoff, had a road game at Arizona State in November, Justin Herbert and company lost to Jaden Daniels, as ASU stunned the Ducks. Arizona State's coming off an impressive win on the road against UCLA. Is this a trap game for the Ducks based upon the sloppy play against SC? Is there any level of concern against Arizona State that has struggled at times this year, Aaron? Oh, man. Um, I really don't feel it. I kind of don't see how they lose that game unless they spit up all over themselves. You know, And in that game, you know, Herbert through two back-to-back interceptions that, that were just inexplicable. I mean, here's a guy who, I think he threw seven on a season. He had two right close to each other. Like, we just threw it right to the guy. It was just bizarre to see him play that way. Um, I just don't imagine Bo's going to duplicate that. And then, of course, you had the blown coverage in that game, too, that cost him late. So I just don't feel like this ASU team is consistent enough or explosive enough to do any damage against Oregon's defense to the point where they can actually smell an upset. So I, I just... I feel nothing. I feel no tremors in the force. You know, I feel no you know, situation where you're like, oh, it's possible. I, I just can't imagine them losing this game. Yeah, Anthony, it feels like the talent gap is much wider than what it was a couple of years ago between these two teams. And that's no knock on Arizona State. They have just been devastated by injuries, especially to their offensive line. That was one of their biggest question marks as a team coming into this season. And so for Oregon, going down to Arizona State... It, what do the Ducks need to do to make sure they don't trip up? Because we've seen some teams lose some questionable games in the conference series. We've seen a Washington State that looked like one of the top teams in the conference all of a sudden fall off. How do the Ducks make sure they don't take a step backwards in this game against the Sun Devils? Well, that's why they play the games. Uh, anybody can win. But when I look at Arizona State, no disrespect, but they don't have enough dudes. They really don't. And, and when you look at this and you break this down, and you just talk about Oregon's offense, you know, okay, who's going to cover, you know, Troy Franklin? And when you double Troy Franklin, Tess Johnson is killing it underneath, killing it. Well, also, you got to stop the running game. 
And then when you throw the ball around to Troy Franklin and Tess Johnson, well, also let's throw the ball to the tight end, Ferguson, who had six catches, and let's throw the ball to the running back out of the backfield. So your defense is just on stress for four quarters. And so it's, it's, a, it's a matchup problem. It's dudes. They don't have enough dudes to stop their Oregon offense. Now, again, Dan Lanning says it all the time. Oregon will beat Oregon. If they're going to lose, they're going to beat themselves. You know, with the penalties or drop catches or interceptions like you guys talked about. But other than that, Arizona State, they're just not, you know, they will maybe get good enough down the road. But right now, they don't have enough. Anthony, did my hesitation with that is Arizona State didn't have enough dudes to beat Washington, right? That was a pretty dang close game in Seattle. But did they win? Arizona State had to cover Romo Dunaze. And if you double him, then oh, you got Polk. Like, I, I don't. But Penix and I'm was not saying they're, I'm not saying they're going to win. My point is, like, I just, I have a hard time in November with everything, all the pressure that continues to build. Like, Dillingham and Arizona State would love nothing more than to be spoilers. I'm not saying they have the talent. I'm just saying, like, you, I don't know. Maybe this is just the, maybe this is just me. Joey Hateration again. No, it's not hater. It's it's not wanting to put the cart before the horse. It's almost like the fact that I don't feel anything makes me even more nervous than if I was feeling something. Because then if I was feeling something, then I was making sure I was prepared. But because I don't feel threatened, then it's like, oh, we're good. We're just going to go, you know, because they can't hang with us. Which is exactly when someone comes and hangs with you and knocks you out in November. So, um I just don't want that to happen. So I, I'm just going to live in this world where it's like, it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. And we have to prepare for that. And we have to be on point, And we have to always play our best game. And um, because you never know what's going to happen. I don't know. I just, I, I don't like the talk of, ah, yeah, they're fine. Let's move on to Oregon State. I no, no, just no, makes me no, no, but no one's saying that now. You still got to take, take care of business with the team yep. in front of you. And here's yep. my thing. You have the dudes to do that. They don't. Sometimes it's just about physics. It's about guys. It's not strategies. You know, it's, it's can this guy cover that guy? No. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> Bo, Bo would have yeah, to turn it over a few times Go ahead. for them, and they'd have to blow some things. Like, there's just so many. I mean, anything's possible. Like Neiman said, you play the game. But there's just a Penix threw two picks in the first half. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, exactly. I said like, Arizona State, it, Washington, Penix threw two picks in the first half. Right. Like that, like, that was, you know, Bo hasn't done that yet. Right. So your point. And like with, yeah. with Herbert two years ago, those picks were like, what is, like, is he, how much money did Herbert put on ASU? Because he doesn't throw picks like that. So, yeah, strange things like that happen. Anything can happen. Other than that, eh. That's all I'm saying. Smackdown. That's all I'm saying. It's well, November. It's the end of the college football season. Every single year we see That's true. five teams in the top ten just go boop, boop. You know, because they just take a deep breath. And that's, I just don't want to see that happen. That's it. I agree with all the other things you've said. I just don't want to see it happen. Agree to that. All right, when we come back, we'll give you our predictions for the game and wrap this thing up. Oregon on the road at Arizona State for the last road game of the regular season for the Ducks. We'll let you know our thoughts when we come back. You're watching Talking Ducks, built by Par Lumber.
Welcome back. Time now for our Tools to Victory brought to you by Leatherman and Oregon on the road at Arizona State. The Sun Devils, they've struggled. They've been injured all year, but they have played some teams very close. They got a win on the road against UCLA. They were one score away from knocking off Washington in Seattle. So Joey, let's start with you. What tool are you going with for an Oregon victory on Saturday? Boy, um, how about all of them? Like, let's just, let's, let's, let's not even make it, let's not even make it close. Like, don't, don't even give them life. Like, come, come hard with like, just straight blade and then come with the scissors and like cut their hair and then like go serrated blade and come over here and then like screwdriver, like just absolutely demoralize them. Like that is the type of statement that needs to be made because like Aaron said a minute ago, there is a, you know, what, how likely it is. There is a scenario where it comes down to Alabama, Texas, and Oregon, you know, for two spots. And Alabama being the SEC champion, like in that situation as a Texas team that beat Alabama and a 12 and one SEC champ, probably going to go over Oregon. It could happen. So like you need these style points. You need to go down and make a statement and say enough of the noise, just go blow them out. Also, let me, let me go next right. because Aaron, what, what, if, what if Alabama beats Georgia? Does Georgia get held out? With, even though it's yeah. not a conference champion, they're one loss at the Bama, and they're two-time defending national champions. I can't imagine that they're going to be kept out, but I don't know. Uh, so, for, anyway, to that end, yeah, smash these guys. And it's going to – just don't turn over the ball. Like, so, offenses, sometimes when they're dominating a game, right, they're rolling around long, someone fumbles it, or there's a tip pass turnover or something like that, and then obviously the drive stops. Other than that happening for Oregon, I don't see Arizona State slowing down the Ducks at all. So just don't turn the ball over. That's really ball security, which they don't do a lot anyway. And if you do that, you're going to end your drives in the end zone. <laughs> like, I just don't think Arizona State can do enough to slow these guys down. I don't care what they've done in other games. Even Washington. Washington fans have been all over me this week because I keep bringing that game up saying, oh, Penix was sick. Okay, fine. Penix was sick. Let's keep Bo healthy. Don't give him anything that's going to make his, his tummy upset. And if you do that and don't turn it over, you're going to roll. All right, Anthony. Yeah, I like what Joey said. Use every part of that tool. Okay, and just get the job done. Take care of business. This game shouldn't be close. It really shouldn't. Uh, and I don't think it will be close. I keep saying they have dudes all over the place, and everyone's playing well. Yes, the penalties will hurt them in tough games, but this is not going to be a tough game. They will, they will take care of Arizona State starting from the first quarter through the fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree with you guys. This is one of those games, if I have to pick one tool, just go with the pliers. Just hang on to this thing tight. Make it. No question at all. Don't leave any room for error. Go down, make it a business trip, take care of business, pull out the victory, get out of Tempe, and get set for a big-time matchup against Oregon State. I think the Ducks just run the ball, dominate with the run, then set up the pass. I think you're just so much more talented than what Arizona State has as far as healthy bodies. I love what Dillingham is doing with the Sun Devils, but they're not quite there yet as far as the level that Oregon is at. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Talking Ducks. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to catch us on YouTube. Leave those comments. We love responding to you all as well, too. And then we'll get set to wrap up this game against Arizona State next week and preview one of the biggest matchups in rivalry history between Oregon and Oregon State coming your way from Monson Stadium. We can't wait for that one for myself, Joey, Aaron, and Anthony. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.